destination planet where we should be riding, but we're back, everybody. I'm Carly Knight. And with me once more is our special guest host, Janine Biggs. Hello, Carly. Thank you for having me again. And thank you for coming over. Anytime. So today we've decided we're going to discuss film noir. Yay! (laughs) Yay! We're talking about like the stuff that we geek out on and what we could put into a podcast. And Yes. And unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, not for me. I'm a huge Humphrey Bogart fan. So Mm -hmm. most of my films today feature the man, Humphrey Bogart. Bogey. Bogey, yes. Lauren Bacall is eyebrow goals. Hashtag eyebrow goals. I I loved her. She was she was great. Oh, yeah. Fabulous lady. Yeah. Okay. first, we're going to get a little housekeeping out of the way before we get to the good stuff. If you like us, don't forget to download, subscribe, favorite, whatever it is you got to do on the platform of your choice. Also, don't forget to give a five star rating and a quick review in order to help push us up the charts and get us discovered. And that way you could be like, you know what? I knew them before they hit it big. Be like the hipsters of our podcast, even though I make fun of hipsters. Also, if you feel like it, you can go to procrastinationplanet.com and click on our donate button. And that way you can find a link to our Patreon page and donate to the cause. Also, go to procrastinationplanet.com and click on the merch page and that'll take you to the Teespring page. And that's where we have our nifty logo merch. I'm going to be going there soon. Yay! (laughs) Because we have a dope-ass logo. I like your logo. It's pretty cool. Why, thank you. Stuff you could do to support us for free. Hit us up on social media. Twitter at Procrast Planet. Instagram at Procrastination Planet Podcast. Facebook. Just plain old Procrastination Planet. Game the algorithm so that we all get famous and shit. That would be great. Like, I want to get just famous enough so that people are like, oh my God, she's so awesome, but I don't want to be so famous that I can't go to Target. Exactly. In my pajama pants and fucked up hair and then have people shame me on social media and in People Magazine or something. Just famous enough. Famous enough that I impress people. Yes. Okay, I think that about covers it. Let's get to the good shit. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so film noir. Film noir kind of makes you think of black and white movies, makes you think of like private eye detectives, femme fatales, lots of light and shadow. Yeah. In fact, when I was uh, researching today, I looked up what noir and neo-noir mean. So... Noir is pretty much just crime movies of the 40s and 50s, which adapted a 20s and 30s Art Deco visual environment, which is just right up your alley. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, the neo-noir is a revival of the genre of film noir. And there were so many movies in that era. Oh, yeah. The written analog would be um, hard-boiled fiction. It got its start in um, like late 20s to mid 30s. That was when it um, it was like in its infancy. And it was kind of um, kind of a reflection of post-war malaise at the time and the pessimism and that lost generation sort of feeling. Right, right. And like hard-boiled fiction, it's all about like the corruption of the system. Like post-war and everything, you're like, oh yeah, society isn't all fabulous and glamorous and... Not at all. All that sort of thing. Like with the movies themselves, film noir, they didn't really go into full swing until like the 40s and 50s. Right. 
But yeah, there is um, per Wikipedia. That's where I got a lot of my information today. There's like a lot of German directors that um, escaped Germany during the rise of Nazism. And so a lot of that German expressionistic style made it into um, film noir. Right. And I was kind of curious as to why um, the movies were happening in the 40s and 50s, whereas the books had started in like the 20s and 30s. Let's see. Like my best guess would be the William Hayes production code was established in 1934 and that was where censorship was really heavy right everything has to be moral you know no out of wedlock banging no crime always has to be punished you have to trust an authority at all times you know everything's got to be all moralistic and shit nobody can be portrayed as kissing for too long or sleeping together no interracial dating and marriage no you know you got the production code you also had the depression era and like during the 30s people were going to movies for escape so i think watching something that would be dark and noir would be a little much i don't know if that kind of came into play it sounds very plausible that that would happen because why would you (laughs) i know for me i like to be entertained so Mm -hmm. sometimes i don't like the dark stuff and the reality-based stuff that's why i don't watch the news a whole lot yeah so i can understand not going to the movies to watch dark stuff when that's your life (laughs) yeah so in the 40s we had um the wartime economy and that kind of helped get america out of the depression that was just like one factor of course we had the new deal programs and all that sort of thing so things were looking up a little bit more but um i think in light of the depression people were a lot more aware of how gritty life could be and so i think films that kind of reflected that worldview made sense True. Like everything being light and fluffy was not going to fly at this point. Right. But at the same time, you had to kind of um, water it down a little bit. I mean, you still have kind of the pessimism there. But, you know, in code movies, you couldn't really get into like the corruption of the police force or the government or right anything like that. So I wasn't aware of the Hayes Code. And that's something I'm really going to look into. And also, just as an aside, um, as I was doing my research for today, which I admit, I wish I had been able to do more. But as you can tell from my voice, I'm getting over a cold. So I've sort of been sidelined for a while. Anyway, um, there's so many noir films that from the 40s and 50s that Mm -hmm. I have not even heard of that I might go down a little rabbit hole and start watching a bunch but because like I said I think most of mine are all Bogart today which is fine because he's awesome and Mm -hmm. I don't care (laughs) you can shame me go ahead don't at me I'm not gonna Bogart shame you no wait (laughs) let's Bogart shame Janine sorry no No, sorry let's not (laughs) who would Bogart shame us anyway I know no taste this is true this is true he was awesome. He was a bit hammy at times, mm-hmm. but he pulled it off. And um, I just really enjoyed his work. So some of the common traits you would see in um, film noir. Oh, God, that reminds me. I should probably link to Roger Ebert's 10 traits of film noir on the bonus. Oh, that would be good. On the episode page in the bonus content. But um, it's kind of snarky. He, he was a little bit snarky. He was him. always snarky. Uh-huh. And sometimes I'm like, who are you to tell me what I like in a movie? <laughs> Just, you know, whatever. Well, that's his job. I know, but it, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm. you can tell I'm not a huge fan of critics. It's like, don't mm-hmm. tell me what I like to watch. I'll tell you what I like to watch. I'm a Virgo. I am Pete Critic. I talk all the shit. Okay, so we have our film noir traits. Like I was mentioning, the femme fatale, the hard-boiled detective. Right. 
Although you don't necessarily have to have a detective or a mystery for a film noir. No, because one of my movies, mm-hmm. which I'll get into later, is Strangers on a Train. Ooh, I love that one. Fun fact, I have not seen it. I know what it's about. And I've seen um, the reason I picked it. And do you mind if I just kind of go oh, with go, this? Okay, go. sorry. I'm jumping ahead of us. <laughs> the reason I picked it, even though I haven't seen it, is because it is a um, you see it in a lot of different movies or uh-huh. TV shows because I just like a lot of those stupid crime shows and the ones that are so unrealistic, but it's just for entertainment. And you've seen that. I, mm-hmm. I've seen that scenario a bunch of times where two people meet and in Strangers on a Train, two people meet just strangers hello and um one is kind of a psychopath and the other is this young tennis playing star Mm -hmm. and uh he's in a horrible marriage his wife's pregnant with somebody else's baby Mm -hmm. and she won't divorce him and she's blackmailing him and he's in love with um, a senator's daughter Mm. and you've seen it right a long time ago yeah i haven't seen it so when i was doing research because i know the premise i just that's one of my movies I'm going to go watch. <laughs> yeah. But um, so Psycho kills the tennis player's girlfriend or I mean wife and expects him to kill the guy Psycho wants dead. Yeah. Crisscross. Oh, my God. I always think of Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, I love that movie. They always had to make ref- they made reference to Strangers on a Train and it made me watch Strangers on a Train when I was probably in my teen girlhood. <laughs> I was in my old movies phase. Right. So going back on track, we have um, for film noir traits, we got the femme fatale. You don't have to have a detective in it but you know you're gonna have like broody main characters they all have a dark side and you're gonna have a lot of snappy dialogue you're gonna have a generally pessimistic view of everything right even if you do have the moralistic ending things still kind of feel dark despite like the main story problem being solved Right. And of course, lots of shadows, lots of play of light and shadow. The um, I think it's chiaroscuro is the term. No. Oh. Yeah. It's in a lot of um, Italian Renaissance paintings with the way they play with light and shadow. Right. 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 Yeah, you, you notice it in a lot of um, like um, Degoya paintings. Yes. Yeah. A lot of chiaroscuro going on there. Or is it chiaroscuro? I, My Italian sucks. Yeah. Mine does too, even though I'm part Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Shame, 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 at least, shame. At least my Anglo ass has an excuse. <laughs> but, you know, you got the dark undertone. You got the grime beneath the glamour, as it were. And some rain if you got it. That's always a good thing. Yeah, storms. Storms are good. And like with the femme fatale thing, it's like society's fear of female sexuality. Oh. Like if women aren't sweet and virginal, they're the bad girls. Exactly. So a lot of times if you have a female character who's a little more open about her sexuality, she's going to be the bad one. She's going to be the murderer. She's going to do him wrong some kind of way. Right. You'll have to excuse us if we have a little bit of background noise. I'm going to edit it down as much as I can, but I got to turn on the space heater for a bit. It's a little drafty in our studio. We're back. I think I need to get some, like, soundproofing curtains or something to put on the windows. I think it'll, number one, keep out any kind of ambient noise from outside, because our window butts right against our dividing fence. And then also, it'll help keep out the draft. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And plus, I want to be a good hostess and not freeze out my guest host. I'm good. My internal heater will kick on, I'm sure, pretty soon. Yeah, I'm one of these bitches that runs cold, because I'm cold as ice, like a femme fatale. 
<laughs> the hot bitch with a cold heart. That's a good uh, novel title. <gasps> hot bitch, cold heart. There you go. Yeah. I might run with that. All right, let, let's do it. That's going to be a sequel to Death of a Fuckboy. <laughs> My work in progress. My neo-noir book. It's such a great title. I love the title. I'll probably have to bodlerize it, you know, when I get, you know, published for real. But <laughs> okay, so we've got our noir traits. We got off track. We're going to get back on track because now it's going to be a little warmer in here. <laughs> so do you want to start off with a favorite? Okay, well, since uh, since I already said most of these are Bogart, I started off with The Big Sleep. I haven't in all these movies I'm doing today. I haven't seen them in quite some time, but um, it was uh, released in 1946 and it's from the 1939 Raymond Chandler novel. Oh, yeah. And this was a fun fact I found in 1997. The U.S. Library of Congress deemed the film culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. And all of those adverbs are for Tim Lewis. Suck it, Tim. And uh, they added it to the National Film Registry. Awesome. So in my California Ethnic Lit class, I took, oh God, like a year and a half ago. Holy shit. I've been at Sonoma State that long. But anyway, <laughs> one of the first books we read was The Big Sleep because we did um, a hard-boiled segment in the class. And that was kind of to show the way the American view of romanticism was starting to disintegrate. And we we're also using that to contrast how um, two other novels played off Raymond Chandler's template. Okay. And then we were comparing and contrasting the film versus the book, what they okay. were able to show and why. Well, now that's uh, another one I'll put on my to-read pile. Yes! I don't think I've ever read a Raymond Chandler. Um, I've seen a bunch, you know, I've seen movies mm -hmm. from his books, but I, I don't know that I've ever read him, so... I might actually have my copy with my little post-it tab still Yay. in it. Well, I might have to borrow that, Miss Carly. Okay, I might could have to lend that to you. Okay. We, in this story, we follow Detective Philip Marlowe, who mm -hmm. is Humphrey Bogart, and he gets called to his um his client general sternwood um he wants him to settle some gambling debts for his youngest daughter yeah of course that's not really what it is yeah and then vivian ends up being the gambler vivian's the gambler the older sister and then carmen Lauren bacall yeah and then carmen's the thought exactly <laughs> Okay, thoughts of slut shamey term. Okay. <laughs> but Carmen has issues. Oh, yeah. Carmen has major issues. And this film has been out since 1946. So, you know, spoiler alert, be damned. I don't really care if you haven't yeah. seen it. Well, the ending is a lot different in the book than it is in um, the movie. In the movie. Oh. Because they had to censor a lot of things out. Okay. Well, that's another reason that I want to read the book. Do you want me to spoil the book or no? No, I'll probably do it myself. My okay. daughter gets so mad at me because I'll read ahead or if I'm watching a TV series. I'll like read the synopsis of episodes and she always yells at me don't do that I do that all the time except for Mad Men if anyone was going to spoil Mad Men for me I would have punched him in the neck I think I did it on a couple episodes and then I stopped myself mm -hmm. little digression uh, I have a guilty pleasure right now I am binging and I need to stop because <laughs> I had dreams about it last night oh no scandal I don't know why I started oh, that's what I need to put on my to be watched list or my to watch list or my been, whatever to be it's watched Saturday morning this is the best vocabulary you're gonna get out of us okay <laughs> yeah so I started binging that and some of it is 
very believable that yeah. stuff like this happens. Some of it, I'm like, oh my God, I hope to God in heaven stuff like this does not happen. Mm-hmm. It's scary. And um, yeah, I watched a lot of it the past week. So I really need to stop. I lost my train of thought. I lost my train of thought too. Okay, so the big sleep, a lot of things... Oh, spoilers. We're talking about spoilers. Like, sometimes I'll spoil something just because, like, the writer in me. Okay, I want to know, number one, where it's going. Number two, oh, it's going here. Let's see how we get there. I do the same thing. I And I think that's why I look ahead. And mm-hmm. that's why I brought up Scandal, because I think I went and read the synopsis, like, on three more seasons that I'm not even to yet. So, oh no, my daughter, when she finds out, because she will, she'll be mad. Sorry, Jules. Sorry, Jules. <laughs> Deal with it. But um, yeah, so spoiler alert, Carmen ends up, at least in the movie, I mm-hmm. don't, again, in the book, I'm not really sure, but she ends up being the killer and uh, being committed to a psychiatric hospital because she's got issues. Mm-hmm. So spoiler. Yeah. But anyway, um, hold on. I'm checking my notes real quick. Oh, something fun. The script had three different writers, including William Faulkner. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, a bunch of writers. They had to change a bunch of stuff, I think. And then someone was asking Chandler to explain the plot. And he's like, fuck if I know. That's funny. I do do this um, as a writer. Do you? Because I know Sabrina does screenplays. And Uh as I'm plotting things in my head or plotting, you know, my book in my head, I always, not always, but on some, I think of it as... um, how would this work out in a screenplay or a yeah. play? I just want to write it all. I want to <laughs> write a play. I want to write a screenplay. I want to write a novel. Maybe eventually that'll happen. But I just I like it all. So I think that's all I had on The Big Sleep. Okay. Um, it's one of those movies, um, noir movies to me. You got to watch them at night because they're always... It's atmospheric. It is. It's very atmospheric. And um, if it's a dark and stormy night, that's the best. And oh, yeah. you have to have a bowl of popcorn. And um, I just like it. And I think the acting in it is pretty good, you know, for the time. Like I said, that age of Hollywood, it's a little hammy. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, Bogart and Bacall nailed it. Oh, yeah. They... Um in the movie, they had a lot more banter between Marlo and Vivian because of that chemistry between Bacall and Bogey. And boy, did it come across on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. So the dialogue between them was really fun. Right. So that's it for The Big Sleep. What do you have? Let's see. I've got Devil in a Blue Dress. Nice. It was another novel we read in that class because we wanted to see how like the um, hard-boiled template was interpreted through a black character's point of view. Was that remade with Denzel? Yeah. Or was, that, was Denzel's the original? It was the original movie. Okay. It was written in the 80s. I did see it and I, I loved it. It was a good movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, so that's one that I could watch again. Yeah, it was Denzel Washington, Jennifer Beals, and Don Cheadle. Yes. And it centers around Easy Rollins. He is a veteran of the war. Yes. And he got laid off from his factory job. No, he didn't get laid off. He got fired because he wasn't going to pull like an extra shift, even though he was overworked. Right. And he wasn't compensated for it. And so they were trying to ask him to work another shift. And it's like, I got to rest. So he gets fired. And it's kind of implied that his boss wouldn't have fired him if he were white. Right. Because he would have been like okay fine you have stuff you gotta do and blah 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 so fine you don't have to work that extra shift 
but it was kind of an interesting exploration of how Chandler's world works versus how Rollins's world works. Right. And Rollins has to contend with racism on top of like poverty and whatnot. Although financially, I think he was a little bit more well off than Marlo. Marlo always has his shitty little apartment. Yeah. He had a shitty apartment. Rollins, oh, yeah. Rollins owned his own home. And that's why he took that one job from, oh, I forget the dude's name. I hope my professor's not listening. <laughs> but he takes the job to find Daphne. Right. Because he's got a mortgage. He doesn't want the bank to foreclose on his home because this is his pride and joy. As a black man during like the Jim Crow era, the fact that he was able to get a home and call this thing his own and he has a sense of pride over this ownership. He has something that is truly his. He doesn't want the bank taking it away. So he's going to take this job. And if I remember correctly, because it's been a while since I've seen it and mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, which again is going to go on my to be read list. He's pretty passionate about about it, which is very similar to yeah. Philip Marlowe and um, Sam Spade, who we'll get to in a bit. Ooh. And um, Dashiell Hammett versus Chandler. Yes. Oh, my God. Have you watched Epic Rap Battles of History on YouTube? Not, oh my that god. That sounds fun. It's hilarious. I wish they would do like a Chandler versus Hammett one. Oh, that would be hilarious. I'm gonna have to look at that. My uh-huh. my kids uh back, you know, a few years ago were watching um Drunk History. Okay. And that's fun. And it sounds similar to it it sounds like it would be something along those lines. So I'll have to look at that. It's a whole YouTube channel. You'll fall down a rabbit hole. Just oh. FYI. <laughs> so Devil in a Blue Dress, Easy Rollins is dispatched to find this Daphne lady. Let's see. He kind of plays with the femme fatale template a little bit, but her fatality is kind of um, justified. The um, the guy she ends up killing, he was a pedophile. So right. it was completely justified. So he's like, yeah, go. You're free. Exactly. Take this money. She was a little baddie, but for good reason. Yeah. But it was really fun. I um, covered in our fictional sidekicks episode, I was covering my love of Mouse. Oh. His sidekick, Mouse. He's got this really fucking violent temper. And he's one of those that's like, I'm totally going to stay on your good side. Right. I mean, he's someone who'll come for you in a pinch or to come to help you in a pinch, but he'll also come for you if you fuck with his money. He will fucking cut you. But um, they were kind of interesting foils for each other, too. Like, Easy Rollins, you know, he served in the army. He's kind of trying to carve out his own version of the American dream. Right. Oh, in California, fun fact, they didn't have Jim Crow laws there, but they still had a lot of institutionalized restrictions. Like, certain ethnicities couldn't live in certain parts of town. Right. So Rollins still lived in, I think he, he lived in Watts. So historically, it's always been segregated. Let's see, those kind of laws were overturned in 1948. Our first house, when Jeff and I bought our first house, this was in Vallejo. The house was built in 1941. And we were signing the paperwork for it. We had to be given a copy of some of this old paperwork. And we had to sign an, ad- sign an addendum to acknowledge that this used to be the law, but now this law has been unconstitutional. Oh, wow. There was this clause from that era that if you were to buy this house, you weren't allowed to sell it or rent it to anybody not of the white Caucasian race. In those words. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that was fucking horrifying. I'd mentioned that one to my professor. I brought the copy of the paper. Work. I'm like, look at this shit. This this actually fucking happened. He's like, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he knew. I mean, he knew it, but just like seeing it right there, right? You actually see how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Scary. It's horrifying. But um, there's a lot of places that Philip Marlowe can go to. 
but Easy can't. Exactly. I mean, Marlo, I mean, there's some places where he might feel out of place because he's not rich, but he can put on his one good suit and he can pass. Easy Rollins, on the other hand, he can't go into white spaces without, you know, getting a bunch of side eye and getting a lot of people being suspicious. Right. And yeah, which uh, makes his job a little harder than mm-hmm. Marlo's. Yeah. But Denzel, oh my gosh, he did such a great job. Oh, he was amazing. I got to watch the movie again. Now that you bring that up, it's like, oh... I'm there. Mm-mm. I I really liked that, and I I think that's one of the ones I um I might have watched that by myself, but uh, I know my daughter would like it, so. When she gets home on break, we'll have to watch that. Yeah. Oh, she's going to be a busy, a busy girl on break. So I don't know yeah. what we're going to watch. Busy gal. Busy girl. Okay. What's next on our list? I think it's your turn. So, shocker, another Bogart movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Bacall, too. Um, Key Largo. Have you ever seen that movie? Key Largo. No, I've never seen it. But okay. every time I hear the title, I always think of that, what's, I love that, that song. song. Um, Bernie something. We had it all, just like Bogey and Bacall. So this morning when I was thinking about this, that song has been going through my head. Uh Uh-huh, now it's in my head. And I said, if Carly knows that song, she's going to sing it. And there's no way in hell I'm even going to sing it because cats howl when I I sing. It's horrible. Oh, same here, but it's my podcast and I have a captive audience, so. Yep, you're good. So Key Largo takes place in uh, the Florida Keys and... Bogey is home from the war. His friend's father and widow have a hotel in Key Largo and Bogey goes there to meet them and tell them about his son and mm-hmm. and her husband. There's a hurricane coming. <laughs> There's, I think, five or six guests and they're kind of thugs. And it turns out they are, I want to say the mob, Edward G. Robinson. Oh, my God. Yeah, he is so good in this. Well, we got a Bogart movie, see? Exactly. He plays this guy named Rocco, and he's been exiled in Cuba for years, and Mm. he's waiting for, they're at the hotel because they're waiting for a contact so he can make a deal, and anyway, shit goes down because, you know, Bogey realizes that they're not just a group of guys there for a fishing trip. The sheriff and his deputy come by, well, they're looking for two Native American brothers, and I don't know how to say their name. I I know I'm going to mess it up, but it's the um Osceola brothers okay I gotta I gotta look this up I'm gonna google Kegel Argo okay and I gotta put a link to the song and our bonus content the song is awesome I love the song hells yeah long live yacht rock is that what we call it yacht rock yacht rock yeah oh my god and I gotta link you know what an excuse to link to some goddamn yacht rock boom there you from go from film noir to yacht rock <laughs> it is gonna be a very diverse episode no I didn't want to get Key Largo, Florida. I want to get Key Largo, the movie. So as you're looking at that, I'll continue. My um, phone's being a butthole. So the sheriff and deputy leave, although they think the deputy leaves, but he sort of hangs around and um, the brothers are actually there. They're hiding out. Eventually, Rocco and his buddies find the deputy and they capture him. And um, I guess it would be Osceola Brothers. I think if I know. I don't know. Osceola. Osceola. I guess I'll have to watch the movie again to see how it's pronounced. Yeah. Um, I'll take that bullet. Pun intended. Bitch bang. Again, spoiler alert, but this movie's been out for a while. If you haven't seen it, that's on you, not me. So the hurricane comes and... 
I think there was a standoff before this because they find out, oh, they're not going on a fishing trip. <laughs> so Hurricane comes and then after they kill the deputy, you know, Rocco and his and his goons kill the deputy. They bring him out on a little dinghy and dump him in the water. Sheriff shows up. The brothers end up getting killed. Rocco blames, I think, uh, Bogey. Anyway, so they take Bogey and they're going to leave. They make him take Rocco and his goons back to Cuba. And Claire Trevor's character, Don... Gay Dawn, that's her name, Gay Dawn. Okay. She gets the gun from Rocco and sneaks it to Bogey. And of course, he kills them all when they're on their boat. Of course. At the end, he ends up back at the end with the dad and, and the widow and happily ever after. So what was it about the movie that drew you in? Okay, so I think I probably originally watched it because it was Bogey and Bacall. Uh-huh. But I just... I like um, the crime movies of that era. Yeah. And Edward G. Robinson did a good job. And oh, I forgot to mention the father, the father of his um, army buddy is Lionel Barrymore. Oh. Yeah. He did a good job. He's in a wheelchair in the movie. Um, Was he in a wheelchair in real life? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, I'll have to look that up. Listeners, help us out. Yeah. I'm just, I'm a crime junkie. Yeah. I like crime movies. Crimey movies. But that's why I liked it. Um, And it's one I'd watch again. I think I'm going to have to put um, Femme Fatale Wardrobe Ideas on the Instagram. That'll be good. I did that with Finola Hughes for Staying Alive. Like her. Yeah, I love that Bad Girl 70s wardrobe. Yes. I'm going to have to get that one of my own. I'm doing it. You'd rock it. I hella would. Okay, I'm going to go a little more modern day again. Okay. LA Confidential. Oh, yes. James Elroy really has that hard-boiled style down. Yeah, that was a good movie. Lots of twists. Uh-huh. And it was that good. One if someone were to ask me to explain the plot, I'd be like Chandler commenting on a screenplay going, fuck if I know. <laughs> Give me an idea. Maybe I'll agree with yours. <laughs> sure. Whatever sounds good. But basically, like with um, James Elroy, okay, he's kind of crazy. No disrespect, James Elroy. I love you anyway. But in the early days when we had Netflix... Oh, God. There was one series where... It was a very short series where James Elroy had hosted it. And he's got this weird way of talking, but it's, like, very clipped. Like, very clipped, very sharp. He talks like a walking film noir guy. (laughs) And reading his prose, it kind of rattles off the same way. So he kind of writes like he talks. And it really shows through in his movies. Like the movie adaptions, anyway. In L.A. Confidential, you kind of feel that really clipped dialogue. That very hard-boiled noir sort of feel. Isn't Kim Basinger? Yeah. She does the Veronica Lake lookalike. Yeah. And yeah. the one him, he, he takes them all to plastic surgeons. Right. He has them cut up to look like stars. Yes. Yeah, it was a good movie. And it did have a very, because um, what year did you say that was? 90? It was seven? Yeah, like late 90s. Yeah, but it had that very noir-esque to it. And uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you think it had like a Black Dahlia um plot twist to it um a little bit probably a little bit a little bit yeah same author anyway so oh i didn't realize that yeah that was part of the la trilogy there was the black dahlia there was la confidential and then white jazz now i don't know white jazz i'll have to look that up but um you know black dahlia that that mystery has never been solved because that was based on true events true story yeah and then there's a whole true crime series about um 
Because there's this one guy, he was a police officer, and he thinks his dad was the Black Dahlia right. killer. I think there's some things that make the theory a little less plausible, but then there's some stuff that makes it kind of plausible. But right. even so, even if we were to completely debunk that theory, mm-hmm. the story behind that whole family is fucked up. Yeah, it is. I actually watched the movie Black Dahlia, uh-huh. and um, I was expecting an ending. Well, of course it had an ending, but it was I was expecting an answer, and yeah. you don't get that answer. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, I looked up a few things on it, and it's it's very interesting. Oh yeah, very interesting. I think there's been um, a bunch of movies and TV shows based off of that. Yeah. But that's a good one. LA Confidential. Yeah. It starts off like it's going to be kind of a straightforward thing. Like Russell Crowe's character has got to solve. Um, let's see. It kind of starts off with this homicide. Um, this group of black kids was framed for um, the Night Owl murders, murdering a bunch of people at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of discovering they might be framed. And then there's some corruption that leads them to get framed. And it kind of focuses on police corruption in the 1950s because the LAPD was just, it was built on graft. It was just... Right. And so then he ends up on this wild goose chase and I can't explain the plot because fuck if I know. (laughs) True. It gets crazy. But then TLDR, corruption at the top. (laughs) I was totally in love with like all the costumes and... I just love that aesthetic. Yeah. Don't love the politics and social mores of the time, but they look good. That's another thing I like about the noir films is the costumes and the settings. And on your current book, Beatrice, (laughs) I bet you just are having a blast. Oh, my God. Yeah. All that 1910s research. And getting to the roots of police corruption in Los Angeles. (laughs) 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 That's what my intrepid heroine is discussing. I'm doing teen noir. It's good. I can't (laughs) wait till it's done. Yay. Okay. Are you done with that one? I'm done with that one. So I'm going to come forward um, and... In my neo-noir, Chinatown. Oh, yeah. I was going to oh. have that as my bonus content. So we oh. can discuss it together. Roman Polanski's Rapist Trash. So let's... It, yeah. It's ugh. so disturbing. It is... But Chinatown... She's my daughter. She's my sister. She's my yeah. daughter. It's just fucking disturbing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, definitely a good movie. It's a great movie. And I wish Roman Polanski was rotting in jail. I do, too. I do, too. And the people who <sighs> who support him and give him awards. and Ew. It's like, what the hell is yeah. wrong with you? The man is a rapist. Yes. And Whoopi Goldberg, it was rape, oh. rape. Come on. Yeah. And she said, well, it wasn't like violent or anything uh, like yes, that. Yes, it was. Excuse me. He drugged a girl underage and he raped her. And she kept saying no and fighting him off. I mean, yes. and technically, she doesn't have to fight him off. She wasn't actively consenting, so it was rape. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We're anyway. going to go off on a big old thing, but you know what? Like, the, he was getting rewards for the pianist or something like that. The, the piano, pianist? Something like that, yeah. And it's like, he should not have made that movie at all because he should have been in fucking prison. He should have been. It was a good movie. But it shouldn't have been made because he should have been in prison. Exactly. Okay. Back to Chinatown. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was made by Roman Polanski, but Mm -hmm. Jack Nicholson, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I never saw the two Jakes. That was uh, like a follow up. But Jack Nicholson just nails this character. Mm -hmm. And he does such a good job. And Faye Dunaway. Oh, I don't think I've seen anything of hers that I did not like. I wish she didn't mess up her face with plastic surgery because she was one of those women who didn't need a goddamn thing. She's so beautiful. 
I think they picked the perfect person for that role. She mm-hmm. was so good. And um, I can't yeah. remember who plays her dad, but oh, what a bastard. Scumbag. What a bastard he was. And that had the whole noir setting, even though that's one of my films that is in color, not black and white. You but st- still, you kind of still have those lighting techniques yeah. and... You also have the whole corruption at the top thing, especially with the water rights trying to get all of that to... I still can't make heads or tails of all of the whole water rights when it came to Los Angeles. That was super convoluted. I thought this was San Francisco. No, it was it was Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, Los Angeles, and then okay. the valley because they're trying to get water rights. The people right. in the valley were trying to get Correct. some of the water rights Correct. in order to turn the desert into something yeah. lush and green. This is a movie that I really liked it and hated it at the same time. Well, I guess I I hated the content. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And I do want to watch it again, but I have to be very prepared and because um, I don't think I knew the the twist. Yeah. When I watched it and I was just blown away. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to watch it again so I can, you know, pick up, pick out things here and there. But um, yeah, it's crazy. The corruption and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's. And it did not end happily. No. Because it's a hard boiled world. Forget it, it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to have some kind of homage at my um, at the end of my (laughs) Beatrice book. Okay. I was going to have her uncle tell her, forget it, Beatrice. It's Tinseltown. <laughs> that would be so cool. That would be cool. I don't know if that would be too hackneyed, though. <laughs> you know what, though? I think it'd be okay for, because of that era that you're writing about, mm-hmm. I think it'd be perfect. <laughs> I think it would be perfect. I'd have to hand it to a teen reader and see if they got it. True. That'd be my whole thing is would they get it? We're going to have to find you a new teen reader. <laughs> yeah, because your teen Life's reader is not a teen old. anymore. Oh my gosh, that girl's going to be 21 in less than six months. <sighs> I know. Oh my gosh, my beta reader's growing up. I know. <laughs> she's uh, she's doing well. She'll be home um, in less than a month. Oh wow. Yeah, so um, I'm excited. That is exciting. Okay, so that was my next one okay i'm gonna go with the postman always rings twice i could not bring myself to watch that movie i read the book and i watched the movie a long time ago and then i read the book as well and it's definitely one of those the femme fatale dies in the end couldn't do it you know the bad girl gotta be punished let's see the movie has lana turner in it and she's great Looking fierce. I want that sweater. <laughs> I don't have the boobs to fill out that kind of sweater, but I'll get a bullet bra or some shit. There you go. It'll work. What's the what's the plot on that one? The plot on that one, Cora is her name. Right. Let's see. She runs into this guy. Um, was a guy named Frank, and then the husband was Nick. I always get the two mixed up. But this guy, he's kind of a drifter, and he stops by their diner right. in like the middle of buttfuck Egypt. And let's see. So she runs the diner with her husband and she's like totally into this dude and she's like because you know, she's I'm, bored of her life she's bored of her right. life and she wants him to help her kill him off and then that way she can collect on his money yeah and what's funny in the book their relationship is a lot more s and she's oh, like bite okay. my lip and he bit, bites her lip and draws blood and she's oh. like totally into it and i'm like Okay, between consenting adults. Okay, but how are you going to explain that to your husband, honey? And then in the book, the husband is Greek. Okay. And in the movie, they take him from being Nick Papadakis to 
Smith. Oh, that's horrible. Well, back then, like a lot of Southern Europeans and Eastern Europeans weren't considered white. Oh. Whiteness was still a little bit more restricted. Mm -hmm. It's funny, the concept of whiteness, like even Irish people weren't considered white when they first immigrated. They they weren't included in the whiteness thing. Got Irish in me, too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm mostly Scots-Irish. I'm like a quarter of about four different things. So, you know, in the East Coast, you can have everyone living in their little ethnic enclaves. Right. But then you go out West and it's the population sparser. Exactly. So you don't quite have the luxury of having your own ethnic enclaves unless you're like Chinese and you're like shuffled off into a Chinatown because you're not allowed to mix in with the mainstream because you're too foreign. I think the concept of whiteness kind of expanded out West because you just needed more. You just needed the numbers, as it were. Right. And I'm pretty sure um, some Anglo-Saxon guys were like looking at a bunch of Irish people and they're like, wait, these dudes are sunburning worse than us. Okay, you win. You're white. Come on over here. Yeah. So the concept of whiteness was um, not everyone got to be white. And I think... um, Not till later, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like even in the 40s and 50s, being an Italian or Greek, that was still considered... That was bad. Yeah. That was still considered not white enough. Right. So I think they... um, they were still foreign. Yeah. So I think they changed Papadakis to Smith because, you know, can't be having that mixing. That's crazy. That's stupid. When, when was this movie made? Um, I thought it was the 70s. The remake was in the 70s. Was the remake with Jack Nicholson? I'm am not I, sure. Am I getting my... We might be getting our noirs all mixed up. Okay. I'm going to do Postman Rings twice. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give this a quick Google here. Okay. We're going to take a break. Oh, there was a 1981 remake. Oh, it was Jack Nicholson. It was. It was Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange. Right, right. In the remake, the husband is Papadakis again. Okay, so, good. Because three people were because white by 1981. Then. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we're good. We're good again. Yeah. We're yeah. white enough again. I read a quick synopsis on it and I saw, I think I might have seen a trailer and it just, I just couldn't do it. Um, I don't even know if I'd want to read the book. It gets a little weird, quite frankly. I don't know if you would be able to stomach the book. I don't think I would. Um, a friend of mine and I, we, uh, back in um, the late 80s, we went and saw uh, Less Than Zero. That oh. movie is so depressing and yeah, it was just I cannot watch something like that. Oh that my just, gosh, it was well she went out and got the book and read it and I I was Oh like, my god, do not ever read no. Brent Easton Ellis. He's so gross. I I was I just read like, American Psycho and I'm like Bleh. I saw that movie and I absolutely hated it. I the movie was better it. than the book. I hated it. I don't I just Yeah, you definitely don't want to read the book. And you I, can't unread it. I asked her I'm like, "Oh my gosh, how can you read that?" She goes, "I don't know what's pulling me. I just had to read it." And she says, "The book because it's going to go into so much more detail and um, mm-hmm. oh we, why do you want those details we came out of that movie and I said oh my gosh I said I need ice cream I need something I was so depressed I yeah. said do not leave me by myself <laughs> Uh-huh. It was horrible. And she was the same way. And, You're going to oh, put me in a 5150 hold. Come on. Yeah, no, that's a movie that I'm I'm sorry to say I'm not going to watch that one. I just can't do she it. She dies in the end, too. Yeah. She dies in the end, and then he's Well, she killed row. her husband, right? Yeah. They she should have died. Did in the car wreck, <laughs> and then she dies in another car wreck, because they were going to go off and get married. Of course. And then she dies in a car wreck, and then he's... I think he was framed for her murder, though. Okay. And then he's on death row for it, so. It just did not seem appealing to me at all. It mm. just, mm So, sorry, I can't do that one. <laughs> That's okay. I won't force you. Okay. Well, I have one. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's the late 80s. It's the bedroom window. 
Did you ever no. see that? Okay. Steve Gutenberg in his short-lived career. Oh, no. He was a punchline throughout all the 90s. <laughs> you know, I loved him, though. I still uh-huh. love him. He's um He has a few episodes on Ballers, you know, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. No. Yeah, he was that. in a few episodes of Ballers. It was on, okay. It's on HBO. Um, I think it's ended now. Uh, it was only four seasons. So the series is done. But, um, you know, we just watched recently, we just watched High Spirit. Mm-hmm. With Steve Gutenberg, and he was great. He's goofy, and I just love mm-hmm. I love him as an actor. He's just goofy, but he and Elizabeth McGovern is in it too. Okay, and uh, he goes to this office party or he doesn't he's supposed to go to this office party I can't remember what he does and his boss, you know, he says he can't go because he's sick. Well, He's banging his boss's wife. Oh, and she no. shows yeah, so she shows the up. Femme fatale. Exactly. Okay, I'm Googling the bedroom window now. It's not the greatest movie ever, but it was it's noir ish. And it, you look like you want to say It popped up real quick. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to... This and looks hella creepy. It is. So, I mean, it's been around for a An while. An American neo-noir film shot in Baltimore. Yeah. So he um he's banging his boss's wife. So uh-huh. she leaves the party early and goes to his apartment and they do their thing. She's standing at the window and she witnesses a rape. Ooh. But they can't go to the police because... It's his boss's wife, and she won't come forward. Um, oh, so, shit. So he goes to the police and says that he saw it. So it goes to trial, and there's so many holes in the story <gasps> because he didn't actually see it. It was the boss's his wife. His wife who saw it. And, oh, fuck. And because, um, in case you want to see it or other people want to see it, I won't do the spoiler. We can do spoilers for movies 30 years ago. Come on. Okay. I don't care. Well, turns out the cops start investigating him because it looks really hinky, right? Mm-hmm. The rapist finds out what Steve Gutenberg's character is doing or did and um, he kills the boss's wife and oh, then shit. Steve gets framed for the murder. Well, not framed, but he gets... Um, he's the person of interest you know oh yeah and uh, elizabeth mcgovern is the she was the victim um of the rape and they kind of get together and are trying yeah so it's good it's it's not great um but it's uh it's got that noir ish feel to it okay so it was good and it came up under neo-noir and i was like oh i remember that movie mm-hmm. so yeah um i think it would be worth a watch i might watch it again if it came up you know yeah i might have to give that a watch but uh yeah it, it was good i think that might be it on my list um have you seen double indemnity no but it sounds familiar yeah i saw it a long time ago and james kane also wrote it the same guy who wrote the postman always rings twice okay he wrote both novels. So, Double Indemnity, it's got Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Oh, okay. Before he was in My Three Sons. I, he was in a lot of things before he was in My Three I Sons. I always remember um, My Three Sons because of Nick at Night and all that oh, when I was yes. a kid. Yeah. Before Nick at Night started showing Fresh Prince, thanks for making me feel old. But um, My Three Sons was before my time, too. So, mm-hmm. I did catch a lot of them on Nick at Night. And before yeah. that, they would be on, uh, they would run them on other stations. But that was such a cute show I loved it it was mm-hmm. a cute show but he was in a lot of things before that in fact he was in 
Uh, we just watched. Was it the absent-minded professor? Yeah, he was in that. But he was in um, it's a bogey movie. Oh, oh no, the, the Kane mutiny. Okay, the Kane mutiny. Because we just watched that recently. Okay, and Fred McMurray was in that. So Very I cool. didn't mean to uh, kind of get in there. So go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck plays Phyllis, the femme fatale. She was awesome. What Wasn't kind of, she awesome? Yeah. Also, what kind of femme fatale name is Phyllis? I don't it's know. Not. That's why she had to become a femme fatale. So she's like. I'm named Phyllis. Okay, I'm going to rise above that name. Yeah. So she's there. Take that, bitches. Uh-huh. So, you know, you got Barbara Stanwyck and that bad wig. Oh, yeah. It was everything. It was giving me life. Okay, so this is kind of a frame story. Fred McMurray is narrating it from, like, um, when he's getting arrested. So oh. this is, it, it all becomes his whole entire confession. Okay, you don't have to go more. I need to watch this movie. Yeah, you so, need to watch the movie. Yeah, so, so like, when she's watching continue. a dude getting strangled and all that kind of thing, it's oh. like, her face is just... Okay, so there's resting bitch face. Barbara Stanwyck had active cunt face. Oh! It was just... She was... Wow. Her face is everything. I love her. She was awesome. But oh. she wanted to... Um, she, like, recruited him to help her kill her husband. And then there's that oh, double indemnity clause. It looks it. like an accident. Yes! Oh, I gotta see Yeah. It. I'm sure my mom has seen it. That's where a lot uh-huh. of my old movies came from. Like, before all the premium channels and all the yeah. Netflix and all the Same streams. here. Because my mom was into old movies all the Basic time. Basic cable. Mm-hmm. And Channel 44 up here. It was Channel 44. We had some on Channel 13 down in Southern California. Yeah. And um, I can't remember the call letters for 44. It might be the WB right now, but I'm not positive. But they had great movies. I know KTLA was Channel 5. Um, K- yeah. Was it KCOP? No, KCOP. I think that was a public radio station. But anyway, I'm getting real 80s with it. <laughs> but yeah, Basic Cable. Um, yeah. Some of the channels that aren't cable but are just higher up in the stratosphere I guess you'd call it and they'd show all these old movies on Saturday afternoons and mm-hmm. Sundays and it was awesome and and my mom is she's a night owl and you know when I got older we'd stay up late and watch movies and that's where I found a bunch of my favorites so um yeah, yeah my mom kind of raised me on Betty Davis movies <laughs> see my mom didn't like those types so uh-huh. I got all I got like a bunch of like John Wayne which he was great but um I also got like the Abbott and Costello movies she loved mm-hmm. those oh those were so silly I loved them but there were a bunch of others that she watched lots of B movies where the um girls are trashy they yeah. were Capri pants. Yes. So you said you went through your list, right? Yes, I'm all done. And I went through mine. Oh, you're all done. I'm all done. We're both all done. We're all done. Okay. It's a wrap. <laughs> yes. If you like us, um, don't forget to email us at procrastinationplanetpod at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Let us know how we're doing. And tell us how awesome we are because Carly and I are both narcissists. Yes, that's right. Feed our narcissism, damn it. Yes, please. Okay. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a quick review if you love our podcast. Go to procrastinationplanet.com for links to our logo merch and our Patreon pages. Also, go there for our episode pages and all the nifty bonus content that comes with that. Okay, I'm Carly Knight. I'm Janine Biggs. And this has been Procrastination Planet. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Procrastination Planet has been written and produced by me, Carly Knight. Our logo is designed by C. Trojan of C. Trojan Art. Our theme music is Laser Unicorns by Christian Penn, courtesy of Jumendo Licensing. Check us out at procrastinationplanet.com. Over there, you can catch links to our bonus content for every episode, as well as links to our Patreon and our Teespring pages. 
other sound at Procrastination Planet is courtesy of Charlie and Holly, our official podcast puppies. Don't forget to drop us an email at procrastinationplanetpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. 